Blog Talk Radio. Another great edition of Off the Rails Radio with your host, Tom Wing. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Off the Rails Radio uh, on this nice. Uh, to, here, it's a toasty Wednesday evening. Uh, the heat's on. Heat's on a little bit outside compared to how it has been. Um, First time back in two weeks, and the majority of the people know why uh, I wasn't on the air last week. But for those that don't, I'm going to go ahead and clue you in. Uh, September 11th at about 1 o'clock, my grandfather, Gerald Logan Merriman, passed away. Um, and I took the week off to kind of, you know, give myself a break. That and that was just a whole lot of stuff I had to go through as far as what last week entailed, just getting everything done for Papaw. That way we could, you know, send them off in grand fashion on on Saturday. And we did. And I want to, you know, thank everybody that has reached out to me um, in any way, you know, giving me their condolences. Um, thank Kelly Boston uh, for, you know, the pep talk he kind of gave, he gave me during the last, my last episode when we were on one of our breaks. And uh, I just, I appreciate it a lot. Um, so with that being said, uh, we've got a great guest tonight, um, Brock Landers or Rod Hicks, Rod Hicks, either which way you decide to call him. Um, really good friend of mine. I've known him for well since right after I broke into the business. I met him through uh, the Voodoo Child Stevie Phillips, um, and it's always been a cool, down to earth guy. And I, you know, got him to agree to be on the show tonight, which I'm really happy about. Because uh, I think he has an interesting story. Uh, I've followed some of it throughout the years. And, you know, he had a very successful comeback a couple years ago into the business. Around the same time, about the same time I tried to come back, which didn't really work out due to personal reasons. But um got a great guest tonight. Uh, I want to go ahead and get our, get our sponsor out of the way, which there's only one sponsor at the moment. But I do got a couple irons in the fire uh, for some future sponsors. And that is Collar X Elbow the wrestling brand. You can head over to collarandelbowbrand.com, which last week I kind of gave the wrong web address. I put X and when it should have been and, and uh, some people reached out to me and told me that I gave them the wrong address. Um, so it's collarandelbowbrand.com. You could go on there. Anything you get today, use the promo code WING. W-I-N-G, and yes, I do have to spell my name for people because for some reason when I give out my last name, they think I'm Chinese. (laughs) Um, If I had a nickel for every time I was called Wang, I'd be rich by now. Um, Go ahead over there, get anything you need today, save 10%. It's it's a really good deal. Uh, I got my, uh, the black, the black with gray lettering in the mail a few weeks ago. Um, and I love it. It's it's a nice soft shirt. I've washed it. It doesn't shrink, so that's a great thing. It comes in pre-shrunk, and I mean it's it's just a really good brand. It's um, streetwise clothing for the wrestling fan. And go over there today. They'll get you taken care of. Use promo code Wing. Save ten percent. Now normally I take a break. Um, right about now or after I get everything out of the way, but today I'm not because we have a special treat for everybody at the end of the show. 
Uh, as you know, a couple days uh, here recently, Bobby the Brain Heenan passed away. Um, he was one of my favorites growing up. Well, I hated his guts when I was growing up, mainly because I was a kid and I was a Hulk Hogan fan. But uh, as I you know, got older and I got into the business, I grew to really appreciate Bobby and everything that he did. And it was um, – there was nothing – nothing bad about the man i love everything he ever done i read his autobiography a few years back really good really funny um there, he's got a bunch of shoot interviews oops sorry on on youtube that are hilarious um one thing comes to mind he talks about jimmy valiant which in the kentucky area um is or they're like he's like a god well bobby the brain heenan thought otherwise and just listening to him tell stories about him is hilarious um check it out it's on youtube i don't know if that actual it's like a 10 there's like a 10 part uh shoot video on there um but i believe that's back in the day when youtube videos could only be about 10 minutes um but check it out so without at the end of the show um i'm going to play his entire hall of fame speech it's about 20 minutes long so i encourage you to stick it out to the very end of the show and listen to that it's going to be great i mean and stick it out for for rod as well he's going to have an interesting story and speaking of which rod you're on the air how you doing buddy tom mr wang i'm uh <laughs> glad to be here uh i heard you plug your sponsor at the top of the show yep uh do you mind if we give another word from the sponsor go ahead all right is, is my guest on here Yes, I am. Holy. Yes, Hello? I am. This is Al Snow, and I am uh, happy to be here. Very Thank excited you, to uh, be representing Collar and Elbow and the wrestling brand, and uh, wanted to come on the air uh, and uh, talk about it real briefly, and then you can interview Rod, who I'm sure will hold you and all of your listeners uh, completely enraptured with his <laughs> scintillating uh, <laughs> stories and adventures um, that take place in uh, pro wrestling. So, but before that, we can talk about Collar and Elbow and uh, how awesome it is and how it is a brand for wrestling fans to show their uh, their love and their passion for wrestling because, let's face it, you know, I've been wrestling professionally for 35 years, but I'm still truly at, at heart nothing more than just a, a fan of, of wrestling. And uh, we wanted to create a brand that represented that, that, um, that communicated that, and, and, uh, um, and also was uh, stylish and fashionable and was something cool to wear. And, you know, mm-hmm. it was not just uh, another wrestling T-shirt, but was a, yeah. you know, a, a, uh, a, a you know, a clothing line, a true clothing line, not just T-shirts, but a true yeah. clothing line that we're trying to put together and um, and put out there for fans of wrestling. Yeah, because, I mean, I, I heard about it when it first come in, and I, like any other skeptical wrestler, was like, ah, it's it's nothing, and it's not going to last long. But when I, when I started to dig into it, and read about it, I was I was blown away. And then when I decided to restart my podcast about a month ago, um, um, another friend of mine who was a sponsor uh, said, "Hey, check out Collar Elbow. It's a great brand to to have sponsor you." And 
and the setup was really easy. Uh, there was a hiccup on my end with PayPal, but I think I got it figured out. But and I I cannot recommend Collar Elbow enough to everybody. Well, I know that there is quite a bit of skepticism, and you know, and and that, that's usually um, you know wild, widely held in regards to anything within wrestling is that there always is that level of skepticism with anything because of the fact that so many guys are always trying to get over on each other. And then of course they automatically assume that if they're always trying to get over on somebody that everybody's trying to get over on them. And, um, you know, really to be quite honest, it's pretty, pretty clear and pretty upfront that we're not trying to get over on anybody trying to conduct a business. (laughs) Excuse me. And actually, you know, as crazy as this may sound, turn a profit and actually make money with the business. I know that that's terrible uh, in this day and age that in the, in the great country of the United States of America, that is uh, driven by capitalism that, uh, and that would has been a part of what has made this country so successful uh, that we would uh, try to live out the American dream and actually try to, um, do that actual capitalistic adventure and uh, actually have a business that makes money. Um, but, you know, we took a different tact as far as the marketing plan in trying to, uh, you know, enable uh, other people as well to, one, most importantly, help us market the brand in a low or no-cost manner uh, the most effectively that we could, which was to, allow people to be sponsored athletes and ambassadors and uh you know um heaven forbid that we should try to cover our costs um in regards to this venture but you know we made that attempt and of course in in doing so we were uh, there that skepticism reared its ugly head but hey you know they if they're not talking about you then you're not doing something right and uh we're exactly. doing something right because people are definitely talking about it and uh and we couldn't couldn't be happier. It's been been very successful, and we're looking for it to continue to grow. And you know, and uh, and the more that we uh, are able to market this brand, the more that it will give opportunities for everyone, sponsored athletes and ambassadors included, and ourselves to hopefully, possibly, maybe live that capitalistic dream and make a little bit of money. Yeah, and I mean, and it's a good way, you know, because. You know, if you're a if you're an, an independent wrestler and you're you're just getting started and you're trying to build your base, I mean, it would behoove you not to jump onto this ship that's collar and elbow because it's a way to get your name out there. It's a perfect example. There's a guy he added me on Facebook. His name is uh, Chris. His work his work name is Chris Slammer, and that's a guy I'd never heard of, and that's an ex perfect example i mean it gets your name out there and it can help support you know if you get your promo code out there and you get people buying it i mean it helps collar elbow but it helps you as well and i just told I a lot of people a very, it's a very synergistic relationship uh between you know between us and uh and it creates a community um that's the greatest thing is that it's created a community of uh independent uh wrestlers and promoters and referees and commentators and announcers and et cetera, who now can network with each other and uh, create opportunities for each other to possibly, you know, build the brand even further and get out in front of newer and different audiences uh, in much more of an expanded area. So, 
you know, it, it, it's a, you know, it's a, nobody's forced to do it. Um, oh. If people make the choice to do it, they, they, you know, they're more than welcome. We'd love to have as many as yeah. possible on board simply because it helps again for us to market the brand and get it out in front of as many different people as possible without putting ourselves out of business in the process. And, uh, you know, we, we look forward to, you know, just continuing to build it and grow it and, and uh, you know, uh, allow everyone to possibly have a measure of success and hopefully yep. help kickstart some careers. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, and it's and ladies and gentlemen out there that are in the business that are listening to this show, it's just like wrestling. You get into, you get out of it what you put into it. So I mean, plug Aren't your stuff and plug it shamelessly. Aren't I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's what I do. Yeah, and, and you know, and you're gonna wear, you know, the 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 uh, without a question of doubt, the, the the quality of the shirts is exceptional. It is going to be, uh, you know, a shirt that you will definitely want to search for in your drawer and want to wear on a regular basis because it's so comfortable and so soft. Um, the material is so nice. But, you know, if you're going to wear shirts anyways, you know, and why not, you know, wear a shirt that you get $5 a T-shirt for every shirt that's sold with your code as opposed to just wearing a, a Nike or an Adidas or an Under Armour shirt that you're not going to get a penny for. You're just going to have to pay to, you know, to get it. So. Yep. Um, I agree. Yep. All yours. right. So. All but right. Guys, uh, I will leave you to it. You know, I, uh, I, um, I'm sure that you will be just awestruck uh, with the tales of mystery and excitement and adventure that Rod is about to uh, beguile you with. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, I'll leave you guys to it. All right. Thank you for coming on, Al. I greatly appreciate it. Oh, thank you. And Rod, hey. as always. Hey, Al. Hey, yeah. Al. Uh, you, you know I've got a uh, a baby coming. Do you think I could get a raise with my collar and elbow pay? Uh, you know, we'll look into it, Rod. I mean, if you sell another shirt or two, it might be possible. We'll see. Thanks. I mean, you've got, a, you've got a baby shower to go to, even though I don't know anybody else out there that might be listening. But normally, only women go to the baby shower. It's not men, but, you know. Right. Hey, that's each to their own, you know what I mean? Each to their own. <laughs> oh, thanks, Al. Hey, no problem. You got to make up for that uh, trip to the shop build gym somehow. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you, better. thank you, sir. Bye. All right, that was that was. I ain't gonna lie, ladies and gentlemen, that was awesome, um, and it was totally unexpected. Uh, <laughs> but it was still. I mean, you gave me a kind of a heads up when I we got you scheduled on the show. You was like, "Hey, man, I'll let you know what Al says," and then you you kind of you. you you faved a brother, and I greatly appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so, uh, getting into it, I'm going to lead off with the, the question I normally lead off when I have wrestlers on the show because everybody for the last, like, X amount of weeks ever since I came back says, you're a wrestling podcast, yet you have no wrestlers on the show. <laughs> and, and I, I want to clarify. I'm not, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure if I qualify as a wrestler or not. but <laughs> Yeah, right. But I want to clarify to the show every clarify the show for everybody out there that might be a little confused. Off the rails radio is going to is going the majority is going to be wrestling, but we also have other things. Like my first week, it was my brother. Um, the second week, it was a firefighter volunteer firefighter. Last week, it was a recovering addict that you know told us his story. So this show is a jack of all trades, but 
the bacon the bacon is is going to be wrestlers. So, Rod, when was the first time you remember watching professional wrestling? Uh, my not only is it my first wrestling memory, but it is my one of my earliest memories as a child. Uh, probably was eighty three or eighty four, and my father took me to Rupp Arena. And I, I, I assume it was an ICW show. Um, it was, uh, I just remember it was during the, uh, the Sheep Herders and the Fantastics. I remember seeing the, uh, the cage match between them and all the blood and everything. And, um, you know, now that I'm older, go back and check the history books. Like, that was probably during that big tour where they were doing that cage match, you know, five or six times a week. So, yeah. And, yeah, because, I mean, a lot of people, like the first thing I remember about wrestling was the infamous screw job on Hulk Hogan on the main event. Yeah. Uh, which according to my father, I'd been watching it long before then, but that's the first time I can remember it. Yeah. And, yeah. That was a huge angle with the, uh, with the twin Hebners, mm-hmm. the evil Hebner. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then you watch it back today and you're just like, wow, <laughs> they're twins. <laughs> um, so when did, when did you decide to get into the business? Uh, it was around 1998, um, Stevie and Stan had broke in uh, with uh, HCW out of Hazard, and um, they were running Richmond one night, and they uh, needed a referee. And I was living in Lexington, and luckily still had my Foot Locker uniform from when I worked there, <laughs> sold shoes, and uh, went went down there and uh, – the uh, main event that night was uh, Killer Kyle versus Dutch Mantel, old Smoky Mountain match, and uh, from there I was hooked. So uh, went, went ahead and rest for about a year or two, and then uh, started wrestling in '99. '99. So who who actually trained you? Uh, well, funny story, um, and I don't like to tell a lot of people this, but to say I was. Uh, no one actually trained me. Um, there was a lot of monkey see, monkey do. Uh, you know, I never paid a promoter X amount of dollars or went to a school or anything like that. I, I rode in the car. I got to the show early. I got in the ring and worked out with the wrestlers. Uh, just paid attention. Uh, you know, the the old adage, uh, mouth shut, ears open. And, uh, you know, that's that, that's how I learned, literally on the job. Um, and luckily, I, I'm a good learner as far as when someone else screws up, I listen and pay attention, and then tell myself, "Don't ever do that." <laughs> so, uh, but 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 you know, over the over the years, uh, you know, all, all the you know the the people that I worked with, uh, you know, early on, uh, Daryl Fugit, uh, then Bo James, uh, you know, Al helped me a lot. Uh, just, you know, it, it, and I can't stress for the young guys and even the guys that have been doing it, uh, I don't care how long you've been doing it, if there's a seminar in driving distance, go to it. Uh, you know, there you never stop learning in this business. Every day you learn something new, uh, and the more people you can learn from, the better. Uh, you know, you may, you, you may learn something from a Brian Logan seminar, uh, you know, that you've never heard. Uh just the same as you would learn one from an Al, uh, Al Snow seminar. So, mm-hmm. 
Which, which in my time, I never really got to do a lot of seminars, because mainly because my first uh, three years in the business, I didn't have a car. Don't ask me yeah. how I survived in the business without a car, but I managed to do it. <laughs> um, yeah. And time, the seminars wasn't really a big thing yet. And no, yeah, no. That, that I recall. Um, yeah, no, it's, it, it just seems like in the last five or ten years is when uh, that's actually become something. And, and, and I think it's just a way, I mean, let's, let's just be honest, uh, independent wrestling numbers aren't what they used to be. So I, oh, no. I think the seminars are, are also a way to kind of ease the, ease the promoter from some of the responsibility. You know, if you, if you bring a big name in, uh, you know, you can – you know, give them a seminar, let them charge for the seminar, so that way the those guys can make a little more money on the side and pass some of the knowledge along to to us. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Uh, I definitely agree. I think that I've attended one seminar, and that was Rob Conway. He came to Georgetown, which I didn't. That's a good one to, to go to. Mo- I didn't have to pay money to get into it. I just showed up early and yeah. with no intention on watching it because I was a broke fool at the time, and. Mm-hmm. um I spent all my money on gimmicks, like not yeah. drugs, people, just actual gimmicks to sell. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, I was in the back because I, you know, I wanted to be respectful. I didn't pay to get into the seminar. I was in, in the dressing room and uh, Cujo and Felony come in and said, what are you doing back here? Go out there. And I'm like, but I didn't pay. And they're like, we don't care. It's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and which I didn't get in the ring, which is what everybody else was doing because I didn't feel I paid for the right to get in the ring mm-hmm. and work and get to work out with them. And, right. uh, but I definitely recommend it. And I'm kind of iffy on seminars in a way. And if, in my opinion, and Rod may have a different opinion or he may share the same. If you're going to a seminar, go to a seminar of somebody that's actually made a living, done something in the business. You know, Joe blue that's worked at promotion a for 10 years and has never worked for another promotion. I wouldn't recommend him, you know, spend your money wisely, I guess I could say. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, it's one of the things to where, you know, there's in the, in our business, you know, you're probably looking at less than one percent, especially these days in the old days, it was, you know, everybody, but uh, these days there's probably less than 1% of wrestlers that wrestle for a living. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and the thing is, is those guys that did wrestle for a living, they took the business serious and because they didn't have a quote-unquote shoot job, they didn't work Monday through Friday on first shift and then play wrestler on the weekend. You know, they, they wrestled seven days a week. They wrestled twice on Saturday and Sunday. And those guys treated the, different, the, the business different back then. They treat it different now. And if, and if you go and you learn from people that made their living and fed their family, uh, you know, that those are people I consider wrestlers. And I don't mean yeah. any disrespect to independent guys, but even myself included, uh, I'm not going to sit here and tell them, like, when someone says, oh, you retired from wrestling? No, I didn't retire. I just quit doing it because it was never my livelihood. Yeah, uh, I said I left. You, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's a – you know, that's the thing, you know, learn from people that, that, that have been somewhere and, and, and paid their bills, you know, not, not supplement income, not, you know, like I said, the, the weekend money or a hobby, it's, you know, full-time jobs. 
professional wrestler. But those are the people that, that you know, I want, I want people to invest in themselves and, and, and their, you know, ongoing, continuing education. But, you know, be selective and, you know, look at someone, look at their resume, and, and then make your decision. Yeah. And, and that also, because one thing that uh, Rated X taught me when I broke in was when you're in a locker room, don't hang out. Watch every single match and yeah. watch what they do and when they do it. And now I know I went to, I was working in Lawrenceburg, um, which I believe you'd come in for a shot there. And I worked there for three weeks. Um, and I'm just sitting, I'm, I'm looking in the back and I'm watching and I'm just like, it's totally different than when I left the business three years ago. And I'm yeah. just like, nobody could give a crap what's going on out front. And there were people missing cues, and I'm just like, wow. I was like, uh-huh, it yeah, didn't you, last long. Yeah. No, no, people don't want to watch matches anymore because usually they're spending the whole time calling their match in the back. And what, like, there's so many, like I said, number one, the main reason to watch every match is so you can learn, you know, especially uh-huh. if it's, if there's veterans on the card, if there's seasoned guys on the card, watch watch and learn, watch their timing, footwork, just you know everything they do. And then the second thing that helps is, hey, maybe if the first four matches did an RKO, don't do one in your match. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you know. So it, it, I can't I can't tell you how many shows I've been to. Every match had a spine buster or an RKO, or and it's just like. You know, no one watches, no one cares about the greater good of the show, and even the promoter and booker, uh, one thing I don't understand anymore is, like, you've got guys going out there in the first, second match and doing all these falsies and these big WrestleMania-type matches to where if you were smart from the promoter or the booker, hey, tell your first match we're going to end on a sunset flip. Second match is going to end on a schoolboy third match end on whatever. That way, when you get to your main event, all the finishes that were used that night can be your falsies because the fans are conditioned that the match can end with a sunset flip. Oh, absolutely. I know when I worked in USWF in McKinney for Rated X, um, if you're in the opening match and you got out of the ring, you were in trouble. <laughs> oh, if, you were, if you're in the opening match, you shouldn't even be throwing 50s. You know, it should be headlocks and arm drags, and you should actually wrestle. Yeah, and get a little heat, and then take it to the house. And yeah, because I watch a lot of the I watch a lot of wrestling on my on my computer in the morning when I'm getting ready for work, and I'm just sitting there watching it. It's like a perfect example. Um, and I'm probably going to get some heat because a lot of people love this match, even though I, as an old school type wrestler or worker hated it and it was the ricochet versus uh osprey match and i've i've got a a, um a thought process when it comes in because i was talking with another independent wrestler and i was like they're the worst wrestlers of all time oh no dude they're awesome i was like no nothing they do hurts because they get right back up from it (laughs) and yeah yeah and that's a, that's a lot of a lot of stuff you've seen. It's like I worked with a kid in, in Lawrenceburg, and I think I worked with him that night that you were there. And he was, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to give you um, 
my finish. I'm gonna it's gonna end with the finish because that's what the Booker wanted. And he popped right up after the one, two, three for my finish, and I'm and he's walking away, not holding his neck, not holding his back. And if I could have grabbed the kid, I'd have killed him. <laughs> and I was like, "You just killed me. Thank you." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and 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 you know, and a lot of that's just uh, improper training. I, I like I cannot tell you how many shows I go to, and uh, I mean, you can tell just by looking at someone the way they carry themselves in the back if they were trained properly or not. And uh, again, sadly, most of the guys in the business today were never trained properly. No, my my biggest mark against me was I was just, I was really, I'm really creative and I like to tell people about my ideas and they got to the, to the point where it was, Oh, you're going to have an idea. Then Tom's going to have a better one. And I'm just, you know, it's just, what happened if we do this instead. And it's just an idea. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but, and it's never a bad thing to have ideas. Just people know when to put them in there because if not, yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> And at the end of the day, it's 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 the booker is the one that she, you know, too, too many bookers leave stuff up to the guys. You know, they should just tell them this is exactly what I want. This is the story because every match, you know, has its place on the card. Every match should be doing some sort of business, either that night or or or, or leading up to it. You know, not, not 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 every match is its own big angle with its own blow off, but you know, one person in that match maybe should be set up for business in the future, and you know that's the business you should get across in that match. But again, even your bookers and promoters now were were never properly trained at at what they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and all right, so. We got off on that tangent here, which we like to do sometimes on OTR radio, <laughs> but um, I'm going to try to keep it, keep it moving along. So when was the first time you tagged up with Stevie Phillips? The first time I tagged up with Stevie Phillips was probably about third grade on the playground <laughs> when we gave Eric Crockett a double DDT under the monkey bars. Uh, <laughs> but uh, as far as, uh, as far as professional wrestling, I would say it was, Probably been around 2000, 2001. Uh, uh, Stevie and Stan had their run as a tag team. And then uh, whenever they brought me in, I think they kind of split. And then me and Stevie started doing the Heartbreakers gimmick and then took the show on the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, when I, Stevie first started coming to uh, Stanford and training with me and um, Adam Marks and Cousin Joe, he would just tell us stories about matches like the infamous, the gay spot, where I think you were on the ropes <laughs> on your knees, he would get dropped pole hold or something, and then they'd kick him in the ass. And I was just like, that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Is it, now, is this show, is this a PG show? I mean, what, what, what are my rules here? There is none. Okay, well, yeah, so... Uh, we, we had been tagging for a while. We were doing a show one night in Somerset, and uh, there was a guy named J.D. Biggs on on the card. And uh, uh, he, he had seen us, you know, do some of our uh, our infamous gay spots, and uh, he thought he had seen them all. And he said, what, what are you all going to do tonight, Stevie, or Stevie and Brock? And I said, well, J.D., I said, I'm going to go out there in the ring, and Stevie's going to fuck me in the ass. And he he did, he he I guess thought I was joking, and then uh, 
whenever we did get out there and, you know, I, I, I was on the receiving end of an atomic drop. Uh, I kind of staggered forward. I, I saw the middle rope. So I just kind of, you know, got down on all fours and was draped over the middle rope, just trying to get my bearings about me. I guess while I was doing that, Stevie was on the receiving end of an atomic drop. He had kind of staggered forward, got on his knees. Apparently we were in a precarious position. And then when the other wrestler started kicking Stevie in the back, it caused his hips to thrust forward, hitting me in my rectum area. And uh, I look up, and J.D. Biggs is just losing it on the uh, apron because uh, we, we did what we said we were going to do. Mm-hmm. Wow. So how, how long did that partnership with you and Stevie last? Uh, as far as I know, we're still domestic partners. Uh, <laughs> I know that Kim Davis tried to put a, uh, a stall on that, but as far as I know, we, we are still uh, domestic partners. <laughs> Yeah, because I think when I had broke in, you had already kind of took your first hiatus from the business. I broke in in 2004. Yeah, yeah that, I was probably just – had just taken my hiatus in 2004. Um, a good way if you're ever going to take a hiatus uh, is to no show an NWA anniversary show. Uh, oh, Lord. That gets over, gets over big. So yeah. That's what I recommend. Yeah, it's like, oh, he didn't show up. Ah, we'll, wait, no, we won't book him the next time. So, and nobody yep, else needs to book yep. him either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it was the uh, it was the fifty third or fifty fourth NWA anniversary show, uh, and and I know showed it, and you'll never guess who they got to take my place. And uh, I've confirmed this with him, and uh, he he likes to tell the story too. A gentleman by the name of Fergal Devitt took the Lover Boys place at the NWA uh, anniversary show. So you know, I kind of a kid kind of owes me. I don't know if he ever made it, yeah. but you know. Ah, me neither. I heard he's doing something up north, but I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one's ever heard from him again. No, no, no. Uh, hopefully, he wasn't eaten by a demon or something like that. But that's beside the point. <laughs> um, yeah. So what did this constant burnout this make you want to take a break or? Uh, you, know, you know, to be honest, I think it was um, just a lack of self confidence. Uh, I don't know if you remember Jim White or not. I do. Um, Jim, okay, uh, Jim had had moved to Manchester, and he had talked to uh, Stevie and I about going down to TNA and uh, doing a tryout in the dark match and. Uh, you know, just I think that that nagging thing in the back of my head, like we talked about earlier, you know, technically I was never trained, and I guess I just thought there was like these certain bits or pieces that I was missing uh, that that would expose me, or you know, I wouldn't be able to hold my own, and uh, like I just you know just wasn't ready to take the plunge. Uh, thought I had what was a good job at the time, and you know, ne- never went all in, and. Um, but, you know, my advice for anybody that's kind of tiptoeing the line or sticking their toes in the water, uh, I would definitely tell them to, to just jump in and, and go for it. Um, I know I know Stevie, he uh, he passed on an opportunity to go to the Shawn Michaels Wrestling Academy. Um, and, I, you know, I think we all have our regrets and what what could have been. And, uh, you know, if you're, if you're young – and you have the opportunity, or if you're just young and 
can create your own opportunity. Uh, that's my advice for all the young wrestlers is, you know, uh, you, you got to go all in. Uh, if you're, if you're not willing to, to take the, take the risk, uh, you know, the, the phone's not going to ring. You know, if you're not getting out there, making town, uh, you know, trying to get on bigger shows, uh, you know, no one's going to watch your YouTube video. No one's going to see your Facebook promo and, and call you and ask you to go down to the performance center. That's not how it works. Uh, you got to get out there and, and make a name for yourself. And hopefully it's an actual video promo, not a type out a paragraph promo. promo. I hate those. <laughs> so, yeah, well, especially when it's a typed out promo under your shoot name's Facebook account. Right? That's always great. Yes, that was that was another one of my pet peeves. Because I, yeah. like, I was like, I'm friends with the shoot names, but I don't talk about wrestling them on my shoot page. I would leave that up to the yeah. store page or my Thomas Wing page later on down the road. And Yeah, yeah. And because I know it cost me some fans in Georgetown, but I wouldn't let fans be on my personal page. Just wouldn't do it. They shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. No. And because I, well, I turned around and had one stalk me. She loved me. She was uh, like a 20-year-old kid. And I came home one day from work. And, oh, there was this girl uh, knocking on your door. She come here like four or five times. I was like, huh, okay. Well, if she comes back tomorrow, do me a favor. Try to snap a picture of her so I can see who it is. And she came back the next day. And I was like, oh, crap, that's a fan from Georgetown. And how she got my address, had no clue. And I don't think she got it from another worker because workers didn't know where I lived either. Oh. Yeah, so she actually had to put in some work to get that information. And, <laughs> right? And that yeah. was when – because at that point I, I had a few fans on there, but the majority of them – because there was a couple like uh, – his name's Russ Mullins. He's related to Randy Royal. I, I kept him. His son that's in a wheelchair kept him because they're cool people. And – yeah. I was glad I met them, but the fan, regular everyday fans, no, I'm good. <laughs> and I yeah. keep that with Renna Center too. My customers, they've tried to add me on Facebook. It ain't happening. <laughs> and <laughs> don't cross the streams. <laughs> That's right. It's my Ghostbusters reference for today. Oh yeah. Um, so you left. Um, I know you come and trained with us for a little bit and, because I remember going, this guy's awesome. Why doesn't he work? And Rex was like, just because he doesn't want to. I was like, at that time, I'm, you know, I'm green as goose shit. And I'm just like, why doesn't everybody want to be in this business? And, <laughs> oh, how I would learn. <laughs> um, yeah, you got back yeah. in, surprisingly, it surprised me. Because it made, when you got back in in 2015, I believe, it made me want to get back mm-hmm. in because, I wanted me and Zodiac to work a match with you and Stevie so bad it was unreal. And oh yeah, that so, would have been that would have been money. Yes, it would have. And um, what made you decide to get back into the business? Uh, you know, to be honest, I, I I got in decent shape again and had just grown my hair out only because I was trying to save money and not get haircuts. So I grew <laughs> my hair back out and. Uh, you know, grew a beard and, and was in decent shape, and then uh, just talked to Stevie. And uh, to be honest, it was really just a shut up, Scotty Ray. Uh, he he would message me about every three to six months about coming back and working for him, and 
I just kept blowing him off and blowing him off. And then finally I was like, you know what, let's, you know, let's, let's do it. Uh, let's have one more run as the heartbreakers. And uh, I definitely, uh, I definitely dove all in that time, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Cause I mean, man, it was, it's one to me, in my opinion, it's one of the best selling independent shirts ever and i never got one hint hint wink oh, wink no. <laughs> the life is a work shirt i love yeah. that shirt just just go ahead and give me your address over the air and i'll mail you one tom <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> it's a p.o box it's p.o box one two three kid okay well, I'll, <laughs> I'll let i'll let your fan i'll let your fan know to go to your post office box and wait for you there you go um, yeah, that shirt, man, everybody was wearing that shirt. Yeah, well, and it, it's one of those things, like, when I when I did get back into business, I, I learned real quick that nobody wanted a Loverboy Brock Lander shirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought, you know, maybe if it was just a, just a generic, you know, wrestling shirt that everyone can relate to. And, uh, you know, what, like life is a work. That was something that me and Stevie and Stan and, uh, Michael lovely, we used to say it on all of our road trips. And, uh, you know, it, it, it started as a uh, life is a work and God is the booker was the saying. And then, uh, as the years went on, uh, I was like, I, I like just life is a work better. And, yeah. um, you know, that's, uh, that, that's what we went with. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of like an inside baseball term. You know, if you're if you're wearing that shirt, uh, you either get it or you don't. Mm-hmm. And if you if you get it, you usually pop for it. And you know, I think I think that was the selling point. I mean, number one, it's a true statement. And yep. uh, number two, you know, pe- people like to be in the cool kids club. You know, they they want to be in on the inside jokes, and you know, that's that's what that was. Is if you if you saw someone in that shirt. You knew that they were smartened up, and mm-hmm. you know it just just kind of wore it as a badge there. So. Yeah, because I mean, a lot of people they're smartened up. Some people think they're smartened up. Um, go to any right. uh, wrestling dirt sheet forum, and you'll see what yeah. I mean. <laughs> and because uh, yeah. most time I'll go on there and I will fuck with them just to fuck with them. I will always play. Yeah. Oh, uh, they're they booking him strong. They're booking him strong. Well, I would always be devil's advocate just because. Sometimes yeah. it's fun being an asshole. <laughs> and, uh, mm-hmm. um, so what would you say had been the best angle you had ever been a part of? Uh, the best angle uh, that I was probably a part of, we wrestled for the ASWA. Uh, they ran like Corbin and um, uh, they, they ran a little another town off of South 75 there that X, I think ended up running uh, Livingston, I think, yeah. uh, but they did, oh God, they did really? weekly. Yeah. Yeah. That was, we, uh, I don't know if we killed it or if we just worked it before someone else killed it, but it's definitely better than Kelsey's nuts now. Oh but, yeah. We uh, got there. And I think at, at the time that was the lowest crowd I'd ever performed in front of. And it was like 50 people. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. I mean that, that crowd used to be, you know, just as big and as hot as the McKinney crowd back in the day. But like I said, somebody, somebody killed it. I don't know who, but uh, any anyway, uh, ASWA they, they ran their weekly uh, Sunday shows, and they brought me and Stevie in, and you know we both had long hair, clean cut baby faces. 
I'd like to thank good-looking guys. And I'm not, I'm not trying to shit on the guys that they had, but we, we looked like wrestlers. Uh, and so when we, when we showed up, we were a big babyface tag team. And every week uh, we would wrestle a Hill tag team, and the Hill tag team was managed by uh, Max Prophet. And uh, every week Max would try to cheat, it would backfire, and we would win. And we, we did this for about eight to ten weeks. And, you know, we were just big-time, super over babyface tag team. We're wrestling the, the heel tag champions. And uh, Max Prophet is, is our manager. He goes to throw the briefcase in. It goes over the heels. I catch the briefcase. Boom. Uh, hit him with the briefcase. One, two, three. With a champ. Everybody's happy. We're celebrating. We do the gimmick where we, we grab Max like we're going to hit him, looking around. Should we hit him? Yeah, yeah, you should hit him. Well, then we hug. And when we hug, immediately we go from being just over like Grover to fans yelling faggots at us. And I don't know why. I don't, I don't know what we would have done to give them that, uh, to give them any connotation to our sexual orientation. But the good people of Corbin did, did use the F word towards us. And uh, come, to fi- come to find out it was Max Prophet's plan all along was to bring us in. And, you know, everyone, everyone thought that he was misfiring when he was cheating every week and we were winning. But the plan was actually he was cheating for us the whole time. So, uh, right. that, that, like, very rarely on the independent do people – let their angles play out that long. Uh, you know, they either want to hot shot it or people no show or people get pissed at each other. And, you know, you can never see angles all the way through. And uh, th- this is one of the few times that we did. And it was really cool. Yeah. Cause I mean, especially, and especially if the people know what's going on, like you said, where it was actually Max helping you every week. And then they start to catch on eventually. And then when it, when that payoff comes, with the full turn, it's it's just oh, it's awesome. There's no better yeah. feeling than when you set up an angle, execute the angle, and it works. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, we we never had to say a word. As soon as we hugged, they knew, and they turned on us just like that. And it was it was it was it, it, that, that's how wrestling is supposed to be, especially. And and that's my other thing. Uh, that, that you know, a lot of indie promoters these days, um, they want to have the storyline, and like they, I don't, I don't know if they just didn't follow house shows, uh, you know, in the golden age. But I mean, when when these territories were in business, they would have the same show. If it didn't happen on TV, it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So you would have the same show. And you would hit all your towns with the same show. That's how you would further your angles. Uh, for some reason, indie promoters these days think, well, if I run McKinney on Friday the 1st, I can do all this stuff. And then I'll go to Monticello on the 2nd, and we'll just carry it over from there. And then, you know, and then you work two or three more towns. They think they're progressing their angles the only people that know about it are the boys and the boys yeah. aren't buying tickets. So yeah, if you think you know, people my, are going to travel from McKinney to Monticello, you're crazy. 
if you think people are going to travel more than 15 miles, you're crazy. Uh, I mean, in this day and age, you know, let's, let's be honest. We run shows in these small towns. Uh, you know, uh, YouTube is great. Facebook is great. But at the end of the day, if there's 100 people buying tickets to your show, less than 10 of those people watch it on YouTube or Facebook or, or follow your whatever you got going on. So I would like to see the promoters get back to like, hey, we run this town, this is the show. We run the next town, it's the same show, the same angles. Uh, and then, you know, that way when you make your loop and you go back the next month, then you can start off where you left off. And uh, I just, I, I don't think guys do that anymore. And I, I think it's because they're just trying to pop the, the boys or, or themselves or, or the other workers. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. It's like uh, my, the, my favorite angle that I've done, which I've got a couple. One is one I've done with Stevie in, in Georgetown, but my favorite one when I'm over that one, mainly because it was the first one that X let me, I came up with it while I was at work. Cause at the time I was a meat cutter and at a save a lot and you're back there by yourself for like eight hours. And I'm just thinking, mm-hmm. wrestling, thinking, wrestling, thinking, wrestling, thinking, wrestling. And we had a guy on um, Johnny Spade, a former OVW superstar. He was working with us, uh-huh. uh, but in McKinney, he just couldn't get over. And we don't, we couldn't figure out why. So I come up with the deal. I'm like, well, let me drop him on his head with a tombstone on a chair have his girlfriend at the time, Miss Hollywood, cry. And I told X, I'm like, it won't work if she doesn't actually cry. <laughs> and let him take three months off and let me run roughshod over, you know, pretty much a bunch of enhancement talent for three months. And because it was during the winter, we was running two shows a month. So you're two, four, but you're looking at about five shows before he comes back, five, six shows. And then we'll have him under the ring. And come out after I, did, I annihilate another person and give me the super kick. When he come out, oh, my God, the pop was amazing. And then we booked it into a last man standing match. And there's a part in the match, which it's on videotape, not DVD or YouTube. It's on videotape <laughs> somewhere. Uh, I don't remember who has the actual videotape, but somebody's got it. And there's a part where I hit where Johnny Spade, he's coming up. I've been working on his neck and he just, he does the whole, you know, you know, fuck you, come on. And I hit him with a ring bell. And there's a part where there people aren't booing me anymore. They're chanting Johnny. And I'm just, you you can't see it because I got a mask on my face, but I've got the biggest shit eating grin because I'm watching all these (laughs) people do exactly what I wanted them to do in the first place. And there is, and it's just taking the time. Letting the, letting everything play out, letting it sink in, and you'll make money. Yeah. And it's, somehow it's, that uh, is it's not rocket scientist. No, and somehow that has went from that and true hatred to let's have this match where nobody knows who the heel is, and we'll, we'll get the we'll get the big pinfall. People go ooh, you know, all that, and then we'll thank each other on Facebook. Yeah. Makes no sense. No, none at all. So, um, moving along here, what would you, <laughs> I'm going to ask you to tell a couple stories. What would be your funniest road story? The funniest road story? 
But funny, I mean, there's, uh, I have a lot of funny stories. A lot of them I don't remember because we used to do just so much uh, tomfoolery, if you will. Uh, like, like people will remind me of things I've done, and then I'll just be like, I'm like, I don't remember that, but I'm not going to deny it. Um, <laughs> the funniest one for me, and it's not, it's not a, a, a rib or anything, but uh, we had a, a referee named Wes Brown that would always take his cameras to the show, and he would, uh, he had a bad habit of filming the ride there and the ride back. But he would never film any of the matches. <laughs> and uh, we were, uh, he, he, he was in the back. We had the camcorder going. And uh, Sexy Stan and myself, we uh, we like to verbally uh, jab each other from time to time. Usually he takes takes an L every time. And uh, so, you know, Wes was trying to get some of that on camera. And uh, Sexy Stan uh, decided he, he was going to tell us a, a story from his youth. <laughs> and he, uh, apparently him and one of his neighbor friends had uh, had experimented with a marijuana cigarette when they were about 15 or 16. And uh, I'll, I'll just do my best uh, San Sierra impression and, and finish the story. Man, you know, uh, you know, like when you're like 15 or 16 and, and you smoke dope and just everything's funny. Well, well, me and Billy went behind the shed and, we rolled us a big wooer, and we burnt down on it. And we had a, a neighbor's dog was in heat, and she's just laid out there, splayed out there all all day long. And we had this uh, we had this dog named Pup. I, I have I've had it for ten years at this point. And man, we come around that uh, come around that shed, and there was old Pup smoking that puss. <laughs> And when he said that, I just looked back at Wes as if, you know, like the nonverbal cue that just said, please, God, tell me you got that on video. And he just kind of he just kind of shook his head. So uh, about once every two or three months, uh, I like to watch the video. It's a beautiful back of the head, nice flowing mullet uh, of sexy San Sierra telling me about the time his dog was smoking that puss. <laughs> oh my god that is hilarious man that's Stan is somebody I didn't get to spend as much time with as I wanted to when I was in the business uh, I consider yourself lucky he's a miserable son of a bitch uh, he comes off that I'm he comes sure, off that way on Facebook but <laughs> yeah I'm sure I'm sure Stevie told you the uh, the Monticello uh, armory story involving uh, myself Stevie and Stan did he tell you that one he may have, but go ahead and just tell us again. Okay, so we're uh, we're we're running the uh, Monticello Armory in Wayne County, and it is Loverboy Brock Landers versus Sexy Stan Sierra in the main event. Special guest referee, the Voodoo Child, Stevie Phillips, and uh, this was again early two thousands. And uh, normally, we never had a monitor in the back back then. A monitor in the back, that was a big deal because, you know, people didn't have that technology. But for whatever reason, this night we had a monitor in the back, and Sexy Stan goes out first. He's the heel. Uh, Stevie and I were baby faces at the time, and he goes out. You know, he's getting his heat, and he's jawing at the fans, and he 
uh, does the old thing, you know, where you sit on the middle rope and you kind of invite them in the ring, you know, if they think they're tough. Well, apparently uh, one of the fine citizens of Monticello thought that he was tough enough and got out of his seat and approached the security railing. And, of course, security on independent shows, not the best in the world, did not get there in time. Uh, So then this young man gets over the security railing and begins to get up on the apron of the ring. So I look at – I just happened to look at the monitor, and uh, from our vantage point, all I see, I say, Stevie, there's a fan rushing the ring on your brother. Okay, so at this point, Stevie and I take off for the ring. What we did not see was that Stan had backed up about four or five steps, and when the kid ducked his head to get in between the ropes, Stan lit him up about six times and about knocked him out. Like I said, we didn't see any of that. So when the kid went down, apparently he grabbed a chair. So by the time we get out into the to the gym, all we see is the same person now with a chair trying to get back into the ring after after Stan. So Stevie hits this kid on a dead sprint with a sucker punch about as hard as you can hit another human being and just puts his lights out. And, uh, you know, apparently the fans, they didn't have a problem with it when the heel, you know, roughed him up. But then now once the baby faces are also beating a fan, I guess it kind of signaled to them, uh, hey, this shit is real. This guy's one of us. So they start to riot. Holy crap. And uh, they, they sequester us back in the locker room. And, uh, you know, we're in the locker room. And the, at this point, the fans, they've evacuated the building. But now they found out where we are, and they're beating on the windows, you know, trying to get in through the windows after us. Well, Sexy Stan goes to his bag and pulls out a fucking dirty, hairy three fifty seven revolver. And he says, Holy this shit. right here says, he says, this right here says, nobody's whipping my ass tonight. And I was just like, <laughs> oh, my I'm like I'm like nineteen, twenty years old. I'm like, oh my god! The cops come. They they actually, you know, they we had we were filming the show, so they they had all the the footage, and you know they they no wrongdoing on our part. Well, whenever we get ready to leave, the guy that just had his ass kicked twice is still in the parking lot. Well, the cops walk us to our car. This guy gets in his car and. On the ride home, there's a Monticello City Police officer in the front. Uh, my car with Stevie, Stan's car with his old lady. Behind him, a Wayne County Sheriff's deputy. And guess who's behind the Wayne County Sheriff's deputy? The kid that just had his ass kicked twice. Followed us all the way to the county line, and they had to pull him over at the county line or he would have followed us home. Wow. Yeah. Man, he he was he was de- he was dedicated, but I'm sorry. He but was wanting I to get that in, receipt. He, yeah, if I was wanting to jump into the ring and somebody whipped my ass, I'd be damned if I'd try to search them down for another one. Yeah, well, if, if I'm going to rush the ring on anybody, as much as I hate his guts, it would not be Stan Sierra. Mm. Yeah, that's just yeah. 
I mean, I wouldn't really want to rush it outside of like like a cruiserweight, like some of the kids are now. They're buck twenty five holding the brick, soaking wet. But yeah, sure, I'd all all day long. You know, I'd do that. But man, somebody like my size, your size, Stevie size, stand something. No, I'm good. Yeah, I'll, I'll sit right here and get yelled at all day. Yeah. So, out of all the matches that you've had, what would you have to say would be your favorite match? Uh, my favorite match. Uh, well, since I'm not, since my work rate uh, isn't there, I don't have too many five star classics. Uh, my favorite match came relatively early in my career. Um, it was probably the time that we wrestled Dusty Rhodes. Dusty Rhodes. Uh, just. Yeah, just because, I mean, and it was one of those things, you know, typically when, when a, an older uh, veteran's uh, name is booked and they put them in a tag match, it, it's usually common knowledge that they're going to stand on the apron and clap their hands, get the hot tag, come in, boom, 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 and get the pin. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, myself and the other guy, we had kind of talked about, you know, a little opener for the match. We get out there, and Dusty is not getting out of the ring. And I'm waiting for Dusty to get out of the ring, and I realize Dusty's not getting out of the ring. And the ref comes over, and he says, Dusty wants to walk and talk. So about this time, my asshole puckers up. Uh, he probably couldn't have got a grease, probably couldn't have got a grease BB through it, because in my mind, uh, you know, I, I've been wrestling maybe three or four years. And I'm about to walk and talk with the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Right. And uh, so we did. You know, we 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 had the match, and uh, the referee and the promoter and Booker drove Dusty back to the airport that night. And I I don't know if we had cell phones. But I think we had cell phones, but it was like the little Nokia kind with like the pull out plastic antenna. Mm-hmm. And I and I remember. You know, every time they would stop, the the ref would call me, and I was like, what did Dusty say about the match? What did Dusty say about the match? <laughs> and um, so uh, come to find out that um, while they were in the car, Dustin Rhodes had called Dusty. They had had a SmackDown house show that night. And um, I think Dustin had worked Brock Lesnar that night, and um, – he had called Dusty, and he was like, yeah, you know, I worked, worked this Brock Lesnar kid, blah, blah, blah. Who did you work? And Dusty's reply was, oh, uh, two guys, uh, two gay guys. And uh, I was like, yes, Dusty Rhodes knows that we're a gay tag team. That's great. <laughs> um, but, but, then, but then later on, uh, you know, he, he was talking about the match to the guys on the car, and he referred to Stevie and myself and said that we were straight out of a John Wayne movie. And at the time, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't get it. Turns out that Dusty was a huge John Wayne mark and loved John Wayne movies. And he was, you know, giving us a compliment saying that we played our parts to perfection. You know, we, we played the, the over the top villains and that way he got to be John Wayne. And, uh, that's, you know, that's my favorite match. That's the highest compliment anyone has ever given me. And, you know, that's that's something I'll always carry with me. And, you know, like I said, I, 
to I never quote unquote made it in the wrestling business, but to at least get the nod from someone like Duffy Rhodes, it gives me that affirmation that, you know, I got it. You know, I, I got what professional wrestling was all about and and at least applied the craft the appropriate way. Yeah. I mean, and it's and when when you when you get a a nod from somebody that you probably grew up watching on TV, you know, there's no greater feeling. So now here's my next question, and this and this this podcast is open. I don't out try, outright try to bury people, but if it happens, it happens. It's not you know, um, if Dusty Rhodes is the best name experience you've ever had, who was your uh, who's the worst match? No, no, like Dusty is a name of you know, from TV. Right. If it was the best experience you could have, who is the flip side of that coin? The, a name that you came in, you may have not have worked with them, but in the back you're just like, you know, I'm really, you know, really excited to meet this guy, and then he turns into the biggest asshole in the world. Like for example, Bobby uh, Stevie, Blade or Jimmy. Stevie. Go ahead. Stevie Phillips. Stevie, Stevie Phillips. Phillips. <laughs> yeah. Stevie, when I uh, met Stevie, I was intimidated as shit from him just because he seemed like an asshole. <laughs> well, he is an asshole. That's why. Yeah, yeah. And if you don't know um, him and you rub him the wrong way, oh, I've seen how much of an asshole he can be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you know, to be honest, like I've never, I've never really had a like, like as far as like just regular indie guys or, or even names, I've never had a bad experience. Um, and I'm not trying to act like I'm hot shit or anything, but most of the locker rooms that Stevie and I and Stan were in, you know, we, I I don't know. Again, I'm not taking a dig at other wrestlers, but when you look like a wrestler, you conduct yourself like a professional wrestler. uh, A lot of people pick up on that and they're not going to give you any slack because they know, not saying that we're better than them or above them, but they know that there's a pecking order and that we were on the top of that pecking order mm-hmm. and they weren't. So, yeah. you know, everyone has was always respectful to me uh, and, and I got along with everybody in the back. And, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm not as opinionated as Stevie and Stan can be at times. But, yeah, I've, to be honest, I couldn't think of one person as far as, in the locker room that I ever uh, had had heat or had any trouble with. Yeah, because I mean, with me, the bet like my version of Dusty Rhodes with would be with Raven. I mean, I didn't get to work Raven. I believe Stevie worked him that night. But I mean, I yeah. came in knowing what I've read other wrestlers say about him in autobiographies that he's a dick. That you know, and he was cool with me. I mean, the brother yeah. bought me dinner and he didn't have to, and I didn't ask him to. Right. Because I was told right. by Cujo and Felony, stick with him, make sure he has anything he needs. And I was like, gotcha, no big deal. And um, yeah. and on the flip side of that, and, and this is this is very public, I fucking hate King Kong Bundy. And <laughs> on a yeah, um, X used to do these with the um, Somerset, the Ryan Cash before Cash got his own. Yeah, the Cash Brothers. Yeah. Yeah, X would supply the ring and the license so they could do their yearly uh, legend shows. And yeah. the last year we did it, King, and I'm still, no, it was the first year. The first year we did it, um, I'm still new. I've been in the business maybe six months. 
um, I, I was just now starting to work, but I, and I worked and I believe I worked the battle Royal, but I didn't work it as a superstar because Bill Eady was on the show. And, um, mm-hmm. so I worked, you know, I, just, I borrowed some tights from X and went as some random generic wrestler name. I don't even remember what it was. And um, he said, okay, what I want you to do is I want you to get pictures of everybody for the website. I was like, no problem. Right. Well, I, I got everybody. It was a real easy deal. Even took some pictures with some people like Rick Steiner, Greg Valentine, and um, mm-hmm. who else? I don't think I took one with Edie. But um, the last person to get was King Kong Bundy. And I didn't get to get Buff Bagwell because Buff Bagwell showed up literally five minutes before he went into the ring. Um and I was like, you know, I was respectful, Mr. Bundy. Is it okay if I get your picture for our website? He said, who are you with? I said, I'm with the USWF, the, the people that are running the show. You mean the guy that owns the ring? Yeah. Fuck you. That ring is a piece of <laughs> shit. And I ain't doing shit for you. So leave me the fuck alone. And I'm just sitting there with my camera and I'm just like, yes, sir. And as I walk away, I start to get pissed because even though I'm green as goose shit, I'm just like, dude didn't have to be that way. He just could have said no, thank you, and I and let me go. So and I yeah. went back and I tell X about it, and he's like, well, whatever you do before you leave here tonight, you get a picture of him. So I I kind of retreat over to um, my little corner, and I'm just, I'm devising a plan, and I've got it because I'm supposed to take pictures of the matches. So um, right. as he and I'm already pissed, super pissed at the dude. And he's walking out for his match because he worked Duggan that night. He's walking out, mm-hmm. and he's in, it's on that elevated ramp that they've had, kind of like an old WCW mm-hmm. ramp. And I look at Mr. Bundy, and I go, hey, Bundy, say cheese, click. Oh, my God, I got a cuss <laughs> in there in front of everybody. And I ran away. <laughs> now, years later, knowing X how I know him now, I bet that motherfucker ribbed me. <laughs> Told you know me to do that. Yes. X won't admit it to this day. He won't admit it, but I think that's what happened. And, <laughs> and you talk about work rate with how people would judge you, you know, when you were, you know, working and me being, I've, you know, you know, secret, I've always been a big guy and, mm-hmm. um, but I could go. And even Stevie would tell you that as big as I was, I could go. And not miss anything. And I remember the first time I worked with uh, Ben Woods, the prophet and whatever else. I think he, he left the business after a less than memorable stint in OVW and become a, uh, an extra in movies. Um, right. I worked with him. It was at the same show that I'm pretty sure Stevie could tell you the story on this one. It was the same show that uh, Stevie tagged up with this guy named Perry that had broke in under X. Uh, he was from your guys' area, not, small kid, but muscled. And he called Doug Vines an old man. Ooh. Yeah. And Stevie was his partner, and Stevie didn't get in at all on that match, nor did he want to get in on that match. No. Well, I worked, went and worked a, a match with, with, ben, with ben Woods, Indian Outlaw. And I, I, I put him over. I'm walking back. And I walk in just as much as I hear that fat fucker can go coming from Ben Woods. And Stevie was like, yeah, he's, he's awesome. If you, if you work with him. And I, so when you're talking about that, I know exactly how you feel. Yeah. And 
So what we're going to do here is um, we're going to take a small break, about a eh, about a four minute or well, about a five minute, six minute break. We're going to come back. We're, are you cool if we open up the phone lines? Sure. See if we can get some phone calls. Um, so I'm going to play a song. Uh, we're going to take a little break. It's it's by a band that's older than shit. It's called it's by a band name um, Green Jelly, and it's called the Three Little Pigs. Why don't you stay right back and I, I may tell you a tale, a tale of three little pigs and a big bad Let's go! 
Jelly with three little pigs. Um, so before we get bring uh, Rod back on the air, I want once again want to plug our wonderful sponsor, Collar and Elbow Wrestling Brand. Uh, you can go to Collar and Elbow Wrestling Brand.com, uh, get all the nice swag that they've got there. Use the promo code WING, uh, W I N G, and save 10% on your entire order. Um, and yeah, so what we're going to do is we're going to bring Rod back. Back on the air. Are you still with me there, Rod? I'm still here, and I have the original cassette single that says Green Jello before they were sued and had to change their name to Green Jelly. Oh, okay. I did not know that. Man, I discovered mm-hmm. that band in, in the local scene here back in 2003. There was a band named Crimson Scourge. Did a lot of Slayer-type music. Uh-huh. When I used to go to all the music shows, and... um they played that there, and I fell in love with that song. I listened to that song nonstop for about a week. I didn't care about their other stuff, but I love that song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to say the original um, video was like the old claymation style. Yeah, and that's where I stole the, the the album from this at was I go on yeah. YouTube, find a song I like. I go to listen to YouTube.com, and it will actually just take the audio off of it. And there you I upload go. it here. Because I was wanting to do where I said I'm going to be doing Heenan's uh, Hall of Fame speech. I, the only place I could find it at was Daily Daily Motion, and uh-huh. you won't, I can't. You can't rip from that site like you can on YouTube. And thankfully right. today I just typed it in Bobby Heenan Hall of Fame speech, and there it was. And I was like, yes. Um, so we're going to open up the phone lines, everybody. Six four six seven one six four two six four. Call in if you got some questions for Rod. You got some questions for me. It doesn't matter. You can call on in. Um, and as I told Rod during the break, I do expect one phone call from a from one certain individual, and he should probably be ringing in here in a second. But if you have any questions, man, feel free to call in. The number again is six four six seven one six four two six four. Aha! It looks like we have a caller. All right, zero, Better not be zero, two, four. You are on the air. Hello, Rod Hicks. Hello, and hello. Willie Robinson looking sorry thing. <laughs> yeah, I got a shave and a haircut. Mm-hmm. You dare you to bug bother our friend Chris Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, so do we got you a question are. for Rod tonight? Uh, no, I just wanted to dog him, just have fun out of him. <laughs> I, I appreciate it there, more Dracula. You know, well, you have a good night. Take care. See you. Bye-bye. <laughs> yeah, bye-bye. All right. And, all right. All right. We'll go ahead and get to the next one because we had another call in rapid fire. Eight, five, three, three. You are on the air. What's going on, Tom? What's up, Andrew? Man, how you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good this point to know NXT right now. All right. What match is on? Uh, Tyler Bates and uh, oh, I forgot the other person's name, but that's the main event right now. I think I just I think I just accidentally hung up on Rod. Um, hold on. Oh. Let me let me call him back. <laughs> um, you want me to hang up and call back? No, 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 no. You stay on the line, buddy. Give me one second here. Okay. Unfortunately, the the buttons on here are very sensitive. Oh, really? Oh, there he. The person you are trying to reach is not accepting calls at this time. Please try your call again later. La persona con la que. Hold on one second. He just sent me a message on Facebook. That shit kidding me. <laughs> uh, hold on. Oh, it's O'Reilly and Fish and Tyler Bates and. Okay. Hold on, we're waiting. We're waiting. Bear with us, ladies and gentlemen. Unfortunately, this happens from time to time. Um, there he is. Is that you, Rod? Man, I got I got canceled already. <laughs> right. The, it's like I was telling Andrew. The buttons on this switchboard are very sensitive. So I was typing in the number into the remote area in the studio, and I guess my my hand moved over to the X by your by, that hangs up. And it hung up on you, so it wasn't them. Uh, well, it was I, it was actually me, and I apologize about that. I figured it was I figured it was the slicksters that did it. Man, oh. it I'll be honest, it could have been those slicksters. Sometimes they can be up to no good. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. <laughs> All right, man. Hey, Andrew, do you got a question for uh, Rod there? Hey, Rod, how you doing? Good, Andrew. How you been? I've been doing pretty good. Um, I got a question for you, if you're ready. Yes, sir. When are you going to come back to KCW? Uh, well, I was there uh, on September the 9th, and uh, I tried to get inducted into the Hall of Fame, and then someone jumped me from behind and had to get in the ring and try to settle it, and... Uh, just I'm too old and too fat. I just don't have it anymore. I got I got beat, and if I if I can't come back and be uh be the lover boy, then I don't have any business in the ring, brother. Well, you're 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 not that old yet. You've still got some in in ring business in you. I just don't know, man. These guys are just they're bigger and stronger than I remember. Who who uh who got you for beyond? 
Uh, Maddie B, believe it or not. Oh, my God, Maddie uh, B. Are you serious? Yeah, he was jealous of my <sighs> beard uh, being better than his. He, he jumped me from behind, and uh, later on that night, he, he issued an open challenge. And uh, a good friend of mine, the Midnight Rider, uh, accepted the challenge and uh, just came up a little short. I cannot stand Maddie B. You and me both. <laughs> uh, M- Maddie who? <laughs> exactly. More more like Maddie Z because he puts me to sleep when he's in the ring. <laughs> uh, just just bring in Vic the Bruiser. I'm pretty sure Maddie's got some pretty good memories with Vic the Bruiser. <laughs> yeah. Nah, Vic, Maddie's a... Outside the ring, Matt, he's a good dude. He's just he likes to take cheap shots from behind when when brothers are in the ring getting accepted and all this stuff. I know, I know. It just he stole my special moment. All right, Andrew. Yeah, was, man. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, it's okay. I wasn't there that night, so but uh, I think the Sixers need to come up and beat up on Matty B. There you I go. agree. I I, I would <laughs> pay to see that. Man, Andrew, I'll be honest. If the Slickers was there that night, he probably wouldn't have got jumped in the first place. That's right. But, man. All right, right, Andrew. Man, um, once again, man, I appreciate you being a proud supporter of this show. Um, Man, you never know. You're welcome. One day, man, I may have you on as a guest. Oh, I would love that. Yeah. All right, all right, Andrew, man. We're going to holler at you later, man. All right, you both have a good night. You too, bro. See you, Andrew. All right. Man, I always love when he calls in. He just, he, he that boy loves, breathes, sleeps, wrestling 24-7. Yeah, he's a good dude. Mm-hmm. If we could have rest, more wrestling fans like him, sky would be the limit for the wrestling business. Yep. All right, man. All right, people. The number is 646-716-4264. If you have any questions for um, Rod, feel free to ask. We got about five, ten minutes left before we uh, bring Mr. Heenan on to the on the air with his Hall of Fame induction speech. Uh, man, what, what would have to be your favorite memory of Bobby the Brain? Favorite memory of Bobby the Brain? Uh the uh, the episode of primetime wrestling when they were on the uh, the set of like the old western, um, and he keeps trying to get to the saloon and uh, <laughs> like that's a good one. Uh, him in the ring would probably be uh, when they had him in the weasel suit uh, and he's you know selling it like he's trying to get the tail and just ends up bumping all over the place. Um, I mean, I, there's just so many. So many Bobby Heenan, the the one-liners and the zingers. It's just, uh, you know, it, it just sucks, you know, because he was such a big part of mm-hmm. all of our uh, childhoods and just, you know, one of the original most quick-witted guys that I, I can remember. Uh, him and Lawler and Cornette, you know, just could fire those one-liners off like, like mm-hmm. nobody's business. Man, I would love to see those three people have a have a small debate. That would be hilarious. Yeah. I'm wanting to say that um, Cornette, that straight shooting series, 
uh, it was the first time that him and Heenan actually got to sit down and, and talk because they were always uh, in, you know, different territories. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Because, I, mean, I mean, it was about a, a couple months ago, I, somebody had shared a picture of Bobby Heenan with, and with how he looked, and I was just like, I even did the, you know, the where you wipe your glasses off, like Bobby Heenan? Holy crap. Yeah. All right. It looks like we've got one last caller. Um, it's kind of, after that first one, I'm kind of scared to answer this one, but here we go. Uh, <laughs> 5809, you are on the air. Uh, yeah. Hey there. This is Libertarian John. I just want to say that uh, taxation is theft. Okay. Cut, cut this guy off. Cut this guy. <laughs> is that a shoot or? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, who? Who are we speaking with? Well, you said your name, Libertarian something. I couldn't really make it out. Um, yeah, yeah, it's Libertarian John. John, that's it. This is, For some reason, I thought you said that's Scott. Ma- John. That's Maddie. That's Maddie BZW. I would know that name. It haunts me in my <laughs> dreams. I hear that voice. <laughs> yeah, that that is me. I, I am uh, I am Maddie B. All right, it. got I knew it. Maddie B on the show. How you been doing, Maddie? I've uh, been doing pretty good. Just got back. Good. Hazard, trying to get back to the Pike Vegas. Nice. Been busy jumping got, uh, right got... in the back. I'm sorry. What? Been busy jumping rod right in the back here lately? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I've been smacking him around. Uh, you know, I took him one end of the cage to the other. Mm. And uh, finally just had to pin him and put him out of his misery. Now, I, 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 want, I want my rematch. I feel like if I was 100%, if I hadn't have been attacked earlier in the night, I think I can get the job done. I'll tell you what. I don't know. Get KZW to book it. I'll get my wrestling license and I'll stand in your corner. I appreciate that, Tom. I appreciate you having my back. Yeah, he's gonna need it. So you be sure to be sure to get that because you know just had an awful poor showing last time. I'm well, I'm, di- I'm I'm training. I'm saying my prayers, and I'm telling you what, Matty B. Uh, I usually don't break the rules, but I might hit you with a clenched fist so hard that your vision is going to go blurry and not even a fake optometrist like Rand Paul can put your little eyeball back together again. Well, I don't know, I don't know about all that. <laughs> <laughs> the, the cage couldn't stop you last time, so... I mean, my, my my hat is off to the KZW heavyweight champion. He did beat me fair and square. Uh, but like I said, I, I plan on doing that again. I'm going to run that one back, as the kids say on the uh, playground. Run it back, yo. Run it back. I have no earthly yeah. idea what that means. <laughs> yeah, we can I'm do battle of beards. Battle of the beards. That's right. Beard. Beard versus beard, the loser gets his beard shorn from his manly face. Uh, I don't know. That's a lot on the line. 
<laughs> we, we, we may may have to go to the contract table on that one. <laughs> I mean, I'm yeah, just saying, I'm willing to put I'm willing to put my beard on the line. Beard versus belt, then. Beard versus belt. Okay, okay. I, I, I might I might could sign that contract. Okay, well, I'm I'm going to talk to the to the office at KZW, and we're going to make this happen. All right, we can do that. We can do that. No more cage matches, though. We broke the last one. No. <laughs> yeah, I'm still looking. I'm still looking for Mr. Brocco. <laughs> what? <laughs> he, I think, I think Matty B uh, took Mr. Brocco. I had Mr. Brocco secured in my tights, and when I went to get him during the match, he had disappeared on me. I couldn't find him. Wow. Mr. Yeah. Brocco. I'm at a loss for words. Well, so was I when he wasn't where I thought he was. <laughs> All right, man. All right, we got about five minutes left. Matty, I appreciate you calling in, brother. Hey, no problem. You guys have fun? Thanks, uh, sir. All right. Step. All right, thanks, Matty. See you, brother. All right, that was Matty B, I guess the KZW heavyweight champion, and yes, the one and only, the one and only. I, it shows you how much I follow everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, man. Well, Rod, it's been a, it's been a pleasure having you on today, man. I I've greatly enjoyed this interview. Yes, yes. Thanks for having me, and on behalf of Al and everyone at Collar and Elbow, I just want to thank you for being part of the family and. Uh, no problem. Again, thanks for having me on. Uh, you know, I would, I would, I don't know about your listeners. I would love to hear uh, you sit down and and do some verbal sparring with the Voodoo Child, Stevie Phillips, and or Sexy Stan Sierra in the near future. I would love to. I would consider it an honor to have both of them on my show at some point or another. Uh, yeah, I know my, just not at just I'm, not at the same time. They've yeah. got heat. Oh, that ain't good. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. that ain't good. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm open after the twelfth, so anytime after then, man, I'll try to reach out to him, maybe get some numbers from you, and we can get them on the show. I think it would be a good interview on both ends. Yeah, yeah, I'll get you. I'll get you their agent's number. All right, that'll work, man. All right, well, we're gonna go ahead and wrap it up with uh with Brock here. Uh, th- again, thank you, sir, and I'll holler at you soon. All right, thanks, Tom. See you guys. All right, that was Brock Landers. Um, great interview, good friend. I've known him for quite a few years. Uh, check out KZW. Um, good promotion up based out of Somerset. Uh, they can do all your wrestling needs. And if you're in the Georgetown area, I definitely recommend Primetime Wrestling. Um, they're, they're doing phenomenal business right now in Georgetown. Um, so with that, uh, we're going to sign off here, and we're going to leave it with Bobby Heenan's Hall of Fame speech. Enjoy. God bless. Is this the last call? <laughs> well, I don't drink anymore after, uh, excuse me, the way I sound, I'm, I had a wedgie. Uh, <clears throat> it happens. Well, this, uh, pardon me, I talk, I'm just recovering from uh, throat cancer, and I'm feeling great, and I'm, uh, Thank you.
thank you. And you want to send me with cash. Now, first of all, do you remember the uh, introduction Pat Patterson gave for Sergeant Slaughter? Well, at 12 o'clock midnight, that will be replayed in your rooms in English. So the wardrobe malfunction now. But, you know, this is great. I, you know, I had everything in my mind for the last month, what I was going to say, who I was going to put over, who I was going to knock, who I wasn't going to talk to, but I couldn't read anything or do anything like that. I, I didn't know what to say. I was sitting there listening to everything and just had to come to me like that. So I, I forgot everything I was going to write and everything, and it has to come from here right now. I've been in this business since 1954. I was 10 years old, and I went to the Marigold Arena in Chicago, and I was hooked, just like that. And when you're hooked, you're in this business, whether you like it or not. I remember watching the heels come out. He'd tell the people to shut up, and they, made, they got louder. And every time he told them something, they wouldn't do it. They ignored him. I said, you know, I can do this for a living. <laughs> it's like being home. So... Uh, I was hooked, and in 1959, living in Chicago, I was 15 years old, and on Channel 5, a TV show came from midnight till 2 in the morning. It's another reason I didn't finish school. And it was wrestling from Bridgeport, Connecticut. Are you going to wedgie too? And uh, it, it was the... Uh, Oh, one more thing. Uh, I'd like to apologize to you people. Um, I bet I'm wrestling. <laughs> I mean, I bet from the ring. So, uh, this has been a great career. So, it, it, I'm watching the wrestling show and I'm seeing Johnny Valentine and Buddy Rogers and uh, Chief Big Heart and Arnold Stone, who was 63 then. <laughs> I love you, Ernie. You think I drink? <laughs> this guy's a brother-in-law of Elliot Ness. Many more beer ridge. Um, so I'm watching the wrestling, and I'm hooked now. So uh, my mother loses her job there. My aunt has cancer. My grandmother's an older person, or she wouldn't be my grandmother. <laughs> I'm not from Virginia. <laughs> uh, so, damn, this is fun, sober. Have you got any weed? No. Moose. <laughs> so. I'm watching this, and I'm hooked. I am really hooked. Now, in 1961, I started working at the Armory for the promotion there. I was uh, 17 years old. I'm carrying jackets to the ring. I'm selling Cokes, and I'm running from A far hat to sheath. He's chasing me all over the building, and I'm scared of him. And I was, I was hooked, and I was uh, 
just did it all the time. I carried jackets and set the ring and was a, a market. I was an employee for this, a small company. Then 1965, I started as a manager. I managed the assassins. Uh, two guys, one guy was over the hill named Joe Tommaso, nice man. And the other man was a guy named Guy Mitchell, who was a very good friend of mine and uh, a good guy. He wrestled here as uh, Jerry Valiant for a while with the Valiant Brothers. And um, then from then I wanted to manage Angelo Poffo, who was the father of Macho Man Randy Savage, and, uh, and I wanted to manage Chris Markov, who was from Yugoslavia. And Chris Markov would rear back and kick you in the groin, and as you were going down, he would say, Watch your kick, as you were sinking. <laughs> he was horrible. Oh, nice man. He called me when I was sick, but he was horrible. <laughs> and then I met another man who I started managing. That. Black Jack Lanza. That man. I remember the morning, the morning she'd be down on the phone in the lobby. The hotel we stayed didn't have phones in the room. So they had a switchboard and they had put in the things, the cords. They had a big thing of donuts there. So Jack would stand there, and when the woman would turn her back to plug in the phone, he'd wolf down a donut. But what he forgot is he's got this black mustache, and it's full of white powder. I'm either managing him or teaching Chong. I'm not sure what was happening. And then I went on from there and managed uh, some of the greatest talent in this world. Right here, I managed superstar Billy Graham in Chicago. And one night, Ivan Pusty slammed me on top of you, and you had so many bumps on your body, you hurt my back for a month. And I managed Harvey Race in 1968. When I found out I was going to be here tonight to be inducted with Harvey, knowing Harvey, I thought we were going to be indicted. <laughs> But this man, we had more fun together, and he is one tough man, believe me, one tough man. The things he's been through in life, six or seven, how many times world champion? Harry, wake up and I'll throw dirt on you. Eight times, eight times heavyweight champion of the world. Excellent. Then, I managed Bob Remus. As we went down the back roads in Peoria, just laughing, knowing our wives would never believe we were riding with four fat girls, taking us to the airport so we could save 20 bucks. He says to me, if this car flips and we're dead, they're never going to believe us. <laughs> then he said, Bobby, stop it. You've made them all laugh, and they've only got 17. <laughs> and that was counting us. And then I went from there to manage it and everybody they threw in front of me in the WWE. Oh, excuse me, did I say something? Wait, wait, let me get into this now. You want to talk about wildlife? When I came here, they had, they had the three freebirds. They had the junkyard dog, mad dog, um, two bulldogs, uh, a guy with a, a Matilda, another dog. Uh, there was a junkyard dog, you had insects, you had two killer bees, you had serpents, you had a guy with a snake, you had a Hawaiian guy with a lizard, 
Uh, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. And you ready for this? And the top it up. And the weasel doing commentary with the gorilla. Damn it. your people over at the uh, WWF now think it's wildlife. You spend one weekend at the Hojo's in Newark with Austin Seeker, the Samoans. That's wildlife. <laughs> so, now I, get, now I know I'm going to New York. I make the phone call to Vince McMahon Jr. I'm in Denver. I can't take it there anymore. I had to get out. I called. Uh, I called. I called. Uh, I called Hogan, and he called me back and said to call Vince. I called Vince, and I told him I planned to leave there. He said, "Well," I said, "I'm going to see Vern uh, tomorrow." And he said, "I said then I'll call you." He said, "Fine." I called Vern. I told him I had to talk to him about something that I was uh, giving my notice. I would fulfill my dates, but I was leaving. He said, I dare you to come here and do that. Tell me face to face. I said, how's one o'clock? He said, fine. I took my wife with me, Cindy. I didn't think you'd hit a woman. And she's Italian. God knows what would happen to him. So I went there and uh, I called Vince first. I said, Vince, he wants me to come to the office. And he sounds mad. And Vince says, boy, I wish I could be there with you. I said, that back me up. He said, no, I want to tape it. <laughs> That's the truth. So I gave my notice. Now I thought, the biggest thing in my life now, I'm going to New York. And I had called Vince Sr. about every six months over a period of ten years. But they had Ernie Roth, who was doing a great job. They had Freddie Blassie, who was doing a great job. And they had Will Banner, who refused to be fired. So and he was there. They just didn't have a place for me. So towards the end of when he was getting sicker, I was in Japan with Harley. And we had gotten word that Vince McMahon Sr. had passed away. So uh, then when I came back to Japan, I was finishing up in Minneapolis, and uh, that's when I called Vince. And I go to the garden that night. And I walk in, and he called me on the phone, and, and he said, excuse me, a week before he called me, he says, would you mind managing Jesse the body venture? I said, of course not. It'd be an honor. So I get to the garden that night, and he tells me Jesse was injured in San Diego, and he has to go to the doctor. He has some blood clots in his legs or something. He won't be able to make it. He may never wrestle again. Would you manage John Studd? I said, I just been to the AWA, which in my term was known as all the world's ass. So I would have managed, I would have managed Strowland just to get out of there. And uh, so then I started managing John Studd. And like I said, I managed Harley Race, Superstar Billy Graham, almost managed the governor. Had I managed him years ago, I, I may have been the first lady in Minnesota. Who knows? I, I managed uh, Sergeant Slaughter when he was super, uh, the story of Mark II. 
I managed my good friend Ernie Ladd over there. Wonderful man. Great athlete. Black Jack Lanza. Who's here that I have you? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Rick Flair. You aren't kidding. I retired in 91 from the ring just to do broadcasting. Vince says, would you go on the road with Rick Flair for six months? Just six months. That's all I need. Now, I broke my neck in 83, and I didn't uh, have it repaired yet. And this was 91. I was going to get it repaired. So now i got to go on the road here with Larry Flint. <laughs> and... So, so I was, I was, I said, okay, I'll do it. I arrested 10 days. I went and told McMahon, Mr. McMahon, which no one does. I said, I can't do it. He said, Bobby, I said, I can't do it. Vince says, it's only for six more months. I said, I can't. you go with him. You go with him. I said, my river now is on hold. You go with him. 10 days. I went in the garden. I quit. On the plane from Phoenix to the garden, I said, I'm telling him, I'm quitting. He said, you won't come with me. I said, I'm telling him, I'm quitting. I said, if not, I'm opening that door. I'm leaving. So I quit. I just couldn't take it. And my neck was bothering, too, and a lot of other things. <laughs> so, and that was another highlight of my life. And then WrestleMania won, the first one. Well, I thought, this isn't going to work. You got Muhammad Ali. You got uh, Billy Martin, you got the Rockettes, Mr. T. This has become a, a, a carnival. And one of the boys said, yeah, it's not right. And then we looked out that night, and there's Cindy Lauper, and there's Dick Clark, and there's Spike Lee, and the press is all over the place. And I said, this guy's got his finger on something. He knows what he's doing. And it worked. It really worked. And we became respectful of people. We were no longer considered... One step behind the roller derby or a circus clown. People said, you guys are great performers. What great shows you're putting on. And it made us feel proud. It made us feel like we were really something. We didn't wear hats anymore and kayfabe and do stuff like that. We could, we could kayfabe in public. <laughs> and some of us kayfabe in private. Right, Gene? <laughs> so, WrestleMania 3. It had to be the biggest thing in my life. I remember going to the ring. I went to the ring a couple of matches before because I usually had a match with 30, 40 guys. <clears throat> Don't get me wrong, Vince used to have stock and floor shine. I wore six pairs of shoes one night. So, I went to the ring with Andre that night. And I remember, yes, please. And I remember seeing the place was just jam-packed. But I never thought how many people were there. All I could think about was, there's millions all over the world that are watching this. And it was a wonderful excitement for me. And then to be able to work and do prime time and to do a wrestling challenge and to do the pay-per-views and to be allowed to express myself and bring my comedy into a business I often thought needed a, a kick in the pants and a couple of smiles rather than a guy blowing his nose and belching and spitting. I mean, if you want to see that, 
come to my room. And actually, it's my wife. <laughs> I have to. You ever had the meatloaf? <laughs> so... Jim, I'm having fun. Hey, for two and for two and a half years, I've sat in my bedroom at home, taking chemo, getting radiation, and doing nothing. I'm a I'm a man with I want to do things. You sit for two and a half years naked in a room and watch Judge Judy, you'll go nuts. You'll go crazy. Now I've got the opportunity to come out here and be inducted into the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame of wrestling. Something I've loved all my life. Yeah, I got three bucks. Why did I stay? It's a job. I had to. I was feeding my mother and my grandmother and my aunt. I had to feed people and myself. So you just stayed. So it wasn't the money. It wasn't because the people I had to feed. Because I love this. I love you and I love them. That's what it's about. That's what the whole thing's about. And uh, to be in, in, indicted into this Wrestling Hall of Fame, this fraternity of, of people, is a, it's a tremendous thrill for me. And the biggest thrills of my life are my lovely daughter here, stand up. <laughs> Jessica. My wife, Cynthia, stand up. And a very welcome addition to our family, my son-in-law, John Salt. My good friend, Steve Anderson, my writer. So, it's just an honor. And it's a real privilege to be here in front of all you people and in New York City. And really, one thing's missing. I wish Monsoon was here. Thank you. Thank you forever. get paid for this, right? <laughs> and I'm drinking. I don't know about you, but I could listen to that guy all night long. Bobby, as Garota would say, you are a classic. Speaking of classic.